0: So you've heard it said a million times, if we don't measure it, it doesn't get done. So the tyranny of metrics is making me change my mind on that a little bit, by the way, just in case you're wondering, but that's fine. I'm I'm going to suggest today's podcast is about, is if you don't create systems, the improvement you gain is not sustainable. Hello, everybody. It's Todd Conklin, the Pre-Accident Podcast. How are you today? Nice to be back with you. I think, I don't know, but I think I'm finally over jet lag. I did a whole bunch of trips in a row. I'm actually on one right now. So get over that, okay? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. And the last one, I suffered greatly. I'll just say it. Greatly did I suffer. Jet lag, that's all. And then there weren't other suffrages, suffering and uh, whatever the language is. My theory is, some people say going east is easy, going west is easy, blah, 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 blah. I am a big believer, and I've told everybody this, you're only in the time zone you're in. So figuring out your time zone you're in compared to your time zone at home is never helpful for jet lag. In fact, it's uh, it's it's opposite of helpful. It's anti-helpful in some Talib language. But I do think as I get older, and I just had a birthday, so it's creeping up on me, that jet lag's harder to handle. But my theory is, is jet lag is easier when you're going to someplace and harder when you come home, for what that's worth. Because a lot of times I'll go east... And that is pretty significant jet lag. And then a lot of times I'll go west, and that doesn't seem to be as bad. But what I notice is is if you don't manage it aggressively, you're kind of screwed. That's the part that's hard because I haven't figured out exactly how to manage it aggressively. I have figured out that if the flight is short, don't eat the meal, just go to sleep if you can, if you're comfortable. If the flight is long, then you get more time to watch a movie and eat the meal, and you can sleep. But generally speaking, it's all about sleep, and sleep is hard depending on what section of the airplane they put you in. So if they put you back, you know, where the people sit, I don't know. I don't have a theory. I just don't have a theory. But I'm relatively convinced it's not taking sleeping pills like Ambien because twice I've seen people pee their pants because they're so – hooked up on Ambien, that they don't really know where they are, and they kind of walk around the plane, and the flight attendants try to wake them. So I'm pretty convinced that's not the answer. But I don't really know the answer. But these are, you know, if this is my problem, I hardly have any problems. Other than that, though, I don't know. Things are chugging along. Thanksgiving being the best time of the year. Love that one. Christmas is coming up for us. um, And, you know, then I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to go to Argentina for a couple of weeks and do some work there and hopefully cross fingers, cross toes, cross legs, cross arms. I've got a project I'm working on that I'll finish up in Argentina. I hope that is my plan, but we'll see. Mostly, I'm sure what I'll do is eat meat and uh, walk around and speak Spanish because why not? I can't. I mean, it's a good thing to do. It'll be kind of fun. What do you got planned? Anything good? Are you doing any traveling or trips or anything exciting? Or are you lucky enough to just stay home and hang out with the people who love you and you love them right back? Because that is also super valuable, I would tell you. So other than that, uh, any adventures? Lots of time at Camp Electric. So I'm getting a lot of uh, my uh, San Ramon time checked in. And got to spend a little time with uh, our buddy Ron Gant, which is always really, really fun. I think him and his wife are going to come to Santa Fe and hang out. So... Might even have more stories then, because uh, that seems like that's how a story would get started, if you're going to start one. And other than that, just seeing friends and hanging out and doing cool stuff. That's that's my plan. That's always what I got planned. The podcast today, I think you're going to like. It's um, it's one I've wanted to do. I'm a little... I was behind on it, and I. it's one of those things where uh, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. We never did it. But Andrea Baker and I were together and doing uh, some work, and one of the evenings... We sat outside, again, this is in Camp Electric, in the little plaza by the gold uh, dormitories on the benches, on the tables, as the mesas, as it were. And uh, I just was, I'm really curious what Andrea's thinking because she's really, this Safety Differently stuff that she's doing is really interesting. She's doing a lot of the strategic stuff and the sustainability stuff and things like value stream mapping and looking at process integration and policy integration. It's pretty cool stuff. And it really all kind of points to one direction. And she talks about this in the podcast. And that's the notion of program sustainability, which is a big deal. And I promise you, I do not spend enough time talking about this or thinking about it or talking to people on the podcast about it. I'm always interested in what's new, what's next. Andrea is really good at making me think about what we should be thinking about what's now. And this whole idea of integrating this new thinking into into uh, processes, into into you know into policies, that kind of stuff—that's pretty interesting stuff. Plus, she's super good at it, so it's a pretty entertaining podcast to be sure. So, why don't we just um, listen to it? Doesn't that sound like something we could do? Because it seems like that would be quite doable. So, I will uh, shut up, and I should do this in Spanish. Cayete, that shut up. I'm going to shut up and get out of this introduction and play the little interview with Andrea, and then maybe we'll recap some stuff on the back side of it. Does that sound good? Hope you're having a good time. Um, it's always fun, and I'm glad you're here. Keep listening. If you got any ideas or suggestions for next year's podcast, now, my friends, is the time to ask about it. I got a couple really good ones. Recently, so I'm pretty psyched about that. I got I got tons of stuff to talk about, so we'll have to get to it and make sure it happens. So, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Andrea Baker on the Pre Accident Podcast.
1: So, I've been spending some time with uh, different companies, thinking about how do we take the concepts that we know from Hop or Safety differently, or whatever terminology we want to use, and um, ensure that the processes that we have within the organization are aligning with those concepts. So how do we take what we're already doing and make sure that we are tweaking them? I mean, not necessarily making massive changes, right, because we know that organizations can't necessarily change quickly, but at least making small incremental improvements to begin to align different processes with, whether we call them the, the beliefs or the truths or the principles, whatever terminology we want to use around, um, around HOP, around safety differently.
0: So let's unpack this a little. So what do you mean when you talk about the things we're currently doing? Let's start with the things that you're trying to put into these existing processes. So what do you mean?
1: So if, if we think about, uh, let's just take the five principles, right? So if we think about the five principles and we think about the idea that people make mistakes, Unpacking what that means for an organization then starts to, uh, starts to inform what we do with the rest of our processes. So if we really recognize that people make mistakes, then we also recognize that no matter what we're doing, one misjudgment, whether that's an error or whether that's an error in thought process, should not lead someone to either a, a life-changing event or losing their job. So if we also recognize that that's true, then we start to look at um, the fact that we need to have um, defenses within our system that are going to allow people to make those mistakes. So as we're looking at all of our processes, uh, we say if that's really our fundamental desire, then how are we even doing audits to make sure – that we're focusing on the right thing. So if we're going from a compliance-based audit, how do we shift that to recognize that well, we need to focus on compliance, but we also want to make sure that our priorities are focused on the essential controls that are going to keep people from suffering a, a consequence even if we make a mistake or even if we have a, a mistake in, in thought process as well.
0: So you're saying the, the the five principles, let's, let's start with there, that's a good place to start. The five principles change the paradigm of how we actually do audits? Yeah. Pull the string on that.
1: So the five principles not only change what we're focusing in audits, but how we have the conversation. So if we also recognize that the people closest to the work really are understanding the context, and that context is going to be in the environment is driving behavior. And we spend a lot more time asking questions within our audits that may be different from the questions that we historically asked. So if historically, for example, historically we might do walk around and do a compliance audit. We walk into, uh, let's say we walk into a room and we have somebody that is uh, working on a table saw. And as you walk into the room, you see uh, somebody grab a guard that is supposed to be, based on procedure and requirement, on that table saw. And they grab the guard and they throw it on the table saw. Historically, as you know, me personally in, in that audit, uh, the questions or the, the type of comments that might come out of my mouth or something to the effect of, you know, you really need to have that guard on. That guard's there for a reason. We care about your safety. We want to recognize that you understand that that guard is there for your safety. Um, so it,
0: behavior focused. I mean, worker focused.
1: Absolutely. Worker, worker focused, but worker focused specific to the, the small piece of information that we had at the time when we walked in the room. When you recognize that context is actually driving that behavior, then your questions sound a lot different. So instead of walking in that room and having that very pointed discussion about why wasn't that guard there, you start talking about normal work. So the question that would come out of your mouth would be something closer to, hey, can you just kind of just tell me what you're working on? And when you have that discussion, what you learn very quickly is, well, you know, I'm putting up this trim specifically in this area, and I'm actually working with something that's a... Less than a quarter inch, and you know, I don't know if you saw when you walked in, but I, I, I didn't have the guard in place because, um, you know, when I'm throwing this little piece through here that's less than a quarter inch, it actually gets stuck in the guard. So I've been using a pusher stick instead. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm working on, and I, I use that as example because it's it's a real example. You know, it's not something that I fabricated. It's an actual discussion that you know had a couple weeks ago. With
0: it sounded made up though.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it's true, but but absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it sounds real.
0: I'll let you have that one.
1: Yeah, absolutely true. So, the, the discussion sounds very different when we're talking about context. So, even the types of questions we'd ask in audit are more focused on normal work than they are focused on uh, maybe a gap between a compliance requirement and, and what we're observing.
0: So, I find this super interesting because with the companies you're working with, are you training the auditors how to audit differently? I never thought about actually saying it's not only safety differently it's auditing differently, it's managing differently, it's measuring differently.
1: Well, well, it's all of those things, and honestly, it's not even within the safety realm. So if we have that same conversation we extend it to quality, when you're walking around and you're doing a, a, a quality audit, the same, same discussion applies, right? So if you see something that seems to be at odds with a quality standard or requirement, Historically, we'd focus in on that gap between the black and the blue line. We'd spend a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, what is that gap? How do we bring the blue line back to the black line rather than understanding what does normal work look like so that we can really have an understanding of the concept that, or the context that's really driving people to to make those decisions.
0: So when you push back to a more of a systems focus, more of a holistic focus, a hop focus, does that change processes? I mean, but I mean, literally, like, do you have to rewrite the processes, or is it just you interpret them through a different lens?
1: Well, I mean, it, it, it depends, and it also it depends upon how prescriptive your process is to begin with. So, um, it, a lot of the times, you can take the same process that you had, look at it with a different lens, and there's very little that you have to do in terms of rewriting something in policy or paper because you're actually just, uh, just using the same concepts but you're making sure that you're approaching it from a different angle other times um, there's actually direct barriers and conflict based on how prescriptive the process was so if the process was extremely prescriptive to begin with and how you had discussions in the types of things that you had to gather and the types of information that you were supposed to record then you can have to take a look at that process and start to rewrite it i'd say If I had to put a percentage on it, 60% of the time you can use the same process you have with a different approach. And then 40% of the time you have to make small changes. But they're actually not as big as we would think they would be.
0: So how hard is this? I mean, you sort of teased into it. How hard are are companies that are doing this, is this hard for them to do? It seems like this would be pushing a rope kind of.
1: It can absolutely be. I think it depends upon where the thought process is. Um, with the organization. So how mature is the organization in thinking about hot principles? So when
0: you say organization, who do you mean specifically in the organization?
1: Specifically, uh, so, so, well, all levels of, of the organization. So it has to, the buy-in of whoever is the person that is determining how a, a standard is written, Um, that has to be part of the equation. So that buy-in has to exist. But oftentimes what I've found personally is that the, that buy-in actually starts at a, at a lower level and then sort of cascades into, um, enough people being concerned about how a procedure is written, that there is enough discussion around it that they can bring in the owners of that process to start to change it, um, so I would say at multiple levels of the organization, but specifically uh, upper leadership and middle management. Um, A lot of the time, those decisions on what to change, though, uh, are informed from the people that have to follow the process. So if we're thinking about changing the process itself, similar to a learning team, the people that we'd want to bring in for the discussion of what to change are the people that are required to follow that process, but you do need support from upper management and the owners of that process in order to do so. So what's that look like? Which part?
0: That whole change strategy you're talking about, because I'm curious how you move this discussion, not really the discussion, the discussion's moving fine, but how you move what we're talking about. You've piqued my interest around this notion that in order to fully realize the improvement strategy that hop, brings to the workplace we have to change sort of the governance of the workplace that's what i'm hearing you say i could be wrong i've been wrong before like a couple weeks ago i was wrong but today i'm i think i'm i think i'm spot on
1: um so what i found is that there's sort of a natural progression of um the people that have had sort of a paradigm shift or i say a belief system change that are the folks that are being asked to follow the system or, or follow a process that there's enough of those people that are giving feedback within the organization that, Hey, you know, our belief system or, or the principles that we're following are no longer aligned with the process that we are being asked to follow within the organization. So when that sort of that clash in paradigm starts to happen, then the folks that are in charge of creating the procedure try to figure out how do we manage this? How do we change it? And in order to decide exactly what do we want to adjust? What do we want to try storm? What do we want to change? It really does look a lot like um, a regular learning team would be except with different folks in the room where you have uh, the people closest to the end user of the procedure informing what changes they think might be useful within the procedure itself. And those that are owning the procedure are those that are listening to the discussion of um, what can we adjust, what can we change to make the barriers, to make it easy to do the right thing within this new paradigm and have fewer workarounds from the procedures that we had created when we were thinking sort of in a traditional view.
0: So give me one more example. Like the saw example, only that one's off the table because you already used it. Give me one more example of what this looks like.
1: So another example of things that would change is how do you actually do an SRA or a JSA. So another group that um, you know, I've worked with has had a lot of thought around um, who are the people that are currently writing SRA. So is so any sort of um, job safety analysis or um, who are the people that are writing that? Um, How are we currently determining what should go into it? And when they take a look at the folks that are writing it, oftentimes it's coming from someone who has very little job experience with that particular job. Um, They've got a lot of safety experience, and so they're looking at it from a very black line approach. And so rather than have, you know, one or two individuals, you know, sort of sitting in an office making that decision, instead they bring those that are closest to the work help revise whatever draft that they have or sometimes they do it actually in conjunction so if we if we think about the, the draft being a completely empty page they'll actually talk about how are you currently doing this job and tell me the things that you are currently doing that you would want other people doing this job to recognize and know so when they come in that they don't start you know before they have these essential controls in place and what does that look like
0: Have have had successes i mean is it is it who's doing it well and what's it look like there
1: so there's a few companies that are taking a lot of time to make these changes, and I'd say that um, they're in the early stages. So I don't I don't want to overemphasize success that doesn't exist. I do know that their excitement about taking these concepts into different places um, has been overwhelming. So the, the excitement of recognizing the sheer recognition of, hey, we've had these processes we've been living with, and yet our belief system around what we want to look like in the future isn't aligning with them. And then the recognition that they can change those processes um, is pretty powerful. Uh, Just another example that has had a little bit of success so far is a company that's using um, what they're calling live procedures. So they have all of their procedures Available um, and recognizing that a procedure is not stagnant when you you understand the variability within a system, those procedures can be commented on um, as though they're like a Wikipedia page, for lack of a better example. And um, they're getting quite a few comments on the changes to procedures, but they are also the, the original version that they're putting in this sort of live procedure they're creating with the employees closest to the work. And they've learned so much through that process um, that they've actually started telling other companies that they should go, go through this.
0: How did you get the leaders brave enough to do that? That takes uh, giant cojones. That's a that's a technical term. Like, yeah. uh, How did you get them to do that? I mean, that's crazy if you think about they're opening up their procedure like a wiki page to actually be redlined by anybody who can type. So also, it's brilliant. I might
1: add. <laughs> yeah. So so, and I, I don't want to take any credit for for them and and their brilliance. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with who within the organization has um, has really made the paradigm shift. If you've got if you have the upper leadership team, which you know, as you've talked about before on this podcast, it requires a lot of discussion with with people that you know, are are generally those that are in charge of the resources or in charge of of writing the policies to kind of understand the, the difference in approach. But when you really do have people that have spent a lot of time wrestling with these concepts, it actually doesn't require much effort to push them to the place where they recognize that Things that we're doing now no longer align with those concepts. Actually, just a, just a specific conversation where you, you lay out um, one of the five principles and you say, okay, what does this actually mean? Um, which I've done with a couple different places where we, we go through the exercise of, okay, this is one of the principles, what does that mean? And then um, which of your policies do you feel align with this principle and the meaning that it brings to you? And which of your policies do you feel do not align with the principle? And then in just that self-recognition of these, these policies that we have in place, these practices that we're doing don't align anymore, um, gives people the, um, I guess, the, the courage to try to change it but also the recognition that you don't have to change it for the entire organization at a time. You can try storm it. You can see whether it works well in a small piece of the organization um, so that you have you create your own confidence and, uh, and ability that you can really progress it to the rest of the organization.
0: But aren't they losing control of the, the procedure?
1: Well, I think once you've made that paradigm shift that you recognize that your personal control of that procedure is not nearly as powerful as learning the information that those that have to actually use the procedure know. When you make that shift in thought process, that control becomes less important. I don't think, so So let me back up a bit. There are, there are places in the organization and parts of the process that I feel are easier to do than others, right? So changing how you do an audit Um, you, you can still theoretically do the same audit checklist you have before, but perhaps you ask different questions as you're doing the audit. That's a very simple, easy step to take. And you can take that kind of early on without feeling like you're losing control. The, the piece that I'm talking about, about procedures, I would say that's a very mature thought process and that takes a a lot longer for people to get to that place. So I think recognizing that there are different levels in the engagement you can have with aligning your processes to this paradigm shift is also important take take the the changes you can create so whatever space you can fill up with these new thought processes you fill up that space and then you wait and you see and you learn whether or not that's actually making change and as more people see that it's making change you get more buy-in as you get more buy-in the paradigm shifts as the paradigm shifts even more then you can make more more changes in that space but recognizing where you can make the change and where you can't is not something even that an external person can do but the organization itself can tell you when it's ready to make that change just by having conversation.
0: And I would add or subtract. You figure out where it fits that work doesn't procedures do not control work. Work is adaptive and emergent and so really management has never had control by procedure of the work. So, but, but realizing that must be difficult. So what's next? What are you thinking? I mean, where's this all heading?
1: I don't, I don't know. And I think that's kind of the, the exciting part. So the more voices that are in this, this sort of movement and the more, uh, you know, groups that are kind of struggling with aligning what they're physically doing now with their sort of new belief system, um, the more we learn, right? So for me, it's very exciting to go from location to location, uh, you know, company to company, um, sector to sector, and see how, you know, very, very smart people are applying these concepts in lots of different places and then learning from each other and and trying to bring that to other organizations. So, you know, I'm not smart enough to know what the next step is, but I am excited to know that there are people that are out there, you know, much closer to the work than I am that are smart enough to know what's going to work for them.
0: So that's Andrea. Always uh, super fun to talk to her and so smart. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. You guys are all so smart. How does this happen? All these smart people sort of hang out. I don't Go figure. What do you think about the idea of wikied procedures, crowdsourced procedures? I mean, they kind of are anyway, right? The workers complete the procedure anyway. And the fact that they can wiki and they can make these living documents that we can go in and adjust, and you could track. And I know this is, that's a very, very interesting idea. And you know, that technology, whether we want it or not, that technology is happening anyway. You're seeing it every place. I mean, I was just talking to, they were talking earlier with uh, with a company that uses a, a version of Facebook, and, and they brought it into the company thinking it would be, you know, just one more kind of potential. Thing that wasn't going to be hugely successful that was hugely successful, hugely successful for internal communication. And you know, whether we want to or not, I think we have to embrace the idea that technology is absolutely becoming the medium. Uh, many different technologies are becoming the medium, and the medium is probably, in kind of a Marshall McLuhan way, more important than the message. And so, if you think about that. All of a sudden, the way you deliver procedures, the medium that the procedure is in, actually becomes more significant than the procedure itself. And and that's probably frightening to some people, but certainly interesting to everybody else. That is a something for one to think about, isn't that? And that's the kind of stuff that I think Andrea is thinking about that touches this notion of sustainability. That's, that's really where sustainability lives, is can we put these new ways of thinking into the 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 policies, the higher-level documents that exist in the company and all the other stuff she talked about. Just amazing. It's crazy. That's pretty much it. I mean, thanks for listening. If you're new, man, welcome aboard. I'm glad you're here. Keep listening. If you've been listening in a while, good on you. I'm keen to keep you. That's for sure. Tell your friends. Let's keep it growing. You know, we have big – there's lots of safety podcasts now. There didn't used to be a whole bunch. Now there's tons of them. Everyone's got one like everybody's got a safety podcast, but the one thing we have are just giant numbers and big reach. So that's good. And we get to spend the time together and that is completely worth it in and of itself. What would we do if we didn't have this time together? So let's uh, call it here. It's time. You can tell I'm kind of bantering on. So for sure. Thanks for listening. I I appreciate it. Uh, Learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, be safe.